Hi, this is Plum, and we are on Faith's Edge with Joe Taylor. Because God saw fit to create you in His image, that gives you inherent value. You don't get to change that. You don't get to say, oh, I need more or less. Thank you, Plum, for the introduction. Plum was on the 114th episode of the show, where we talked about her new book, Fight for Her, even if you have to fight her. Plum is absolutely passionate about the way women talk with each other, and Fight for Her is a challenge to women of all ages to fight for each other, even if it means fighting with each other, with love, with hope, and with bucket loads of grace. You can hear our conversation at onfaithsedge.com slash 114 on faithsedge.com slash 114. And here's a bit of trivia if you can answer the question, what is the connection between today's guest and Plum? If you can answer that question, email me at joe at onfaithsedge.com. Again, joe at onfaithsedge.com. Well, welcome to the 120th episode of On Faith Sedge. My name is Joe Taylor, recovering atheist and your servant in Jesus Christ. This is your place to hear conversations about God and living a life of faith in Jesus Christ. In today's show, we are joined by recording artist and author Juliana Zobrist. Notorious for her daring fashion and bold creative perspective, Juliana has been featured in Forbes, Huffington Post, CBS, Fox News, Parade Magazine, Sports Illustrated, and many other publications. In her new book, Pull It Off, Juliana is transparent about her personal struggles to pull off life's challenges, and she reveals the root of our fears as she walks readers through how to maximize our true identities. In today's show, Juliana shares what does it mean to put on confidence, how to avoid being spread too thin, finding your passion versus choosing your passion. We talk about how to pull together your priorities and passions. We discuss her signature phrase, don't should on me, and back that should up. (laughs) Really funny conversation. And her move from naturalist to true believing Christian. Mother of three, recording artist, fashion muse, speaker, not to say wife of World Series MVP Ben Zobrist. How do you pull it off? (laughs) That is the question that I get asked most often. And sometimes it's in with genuine vibe appreciation, but sometimes it's slightly passive aggressive as well. You never really know. (laughs) But um, yeah, that is why I wrote this book. It's, It's not about fashion. It's not simply about what's putting on your clothes, but it's this this idea of using your fear, using this this need for approval that I think all of humanity has, using that, understanding your approval by God, your worthwhileness with Him, the fact that you've been um, given intrinsic value and worth by God, and then stepping out into the world in courage and in confidence and brilliance. So why did you find the need to write this book right now? Right now, because we are pretty inundated with messages of who we need to be, um, who the world expects us to be. There's so much division due to um, not being comfortable with people being different than us. And I really do believe that that is because we're not comfortable with ourselves and that really the most confident people that I know are also the most championing of other people. And so I wanted to write this book to to say two things, to say, number one, you are inherently worthy of love because God has said that you are, for he so loved the world. 
But secondly, when you understand that and you and you deal with insecurities that I deal with, that you deal with, we all deal with them, you're not shying away from them any longer, but actually utilizing them to tap into being courageous. So your subtitle, removing, removing your fears and putting on confidence. Is there a distinction in that subtitle between having confidence and putting on confidence? Yes, I do think that it's a choice. That's a great observation on your part. Um, I do think that it begins with a deliberate decision to see what the world is doing, the, the way that the world says, okay, you need to look like this, you need to act like this, you need to believe like this, you need to, to see that first and foremost. The fact that a lot of the decisions that we make are, are because we're trying to navigate being approved by everybody. So when you put on confidence, it's this deliberate decision to say, okay, I know what you're wanting of me to be, but I am not that. And choosing to be courageous enough to speak up against that or to speak out about who you are and what it is that you do believe. And then that inherently will give you the confidence that you're looking for. It really is a choice, isn't it? It definitely is, yes. And and to say that anyone is just blanket statement fearless, I think is a travesty to to believe that on so many levels, even on a philosophical level, like you can't be fearless. We are surrounded by fear. So how do we use them? How do we use them as catalysts to exercise the act of courage? And I say exercise because it truly does function as an exercise in your brain. Um, the part of your brain, it's called the um, anterior cingulate cortex. It functions more as a muscle than it does as an organ when it's in the moment of acting courageously. So you can truly make this part of your brain stronger as long as you are willing to face your fear and to use it and to become courageous and confident. How does somebody go about facing their fear in the face of fear? Is it a big leap? Is it a series of tiny steps? How did you do it? Julian, how did you, how did you face your fear? How did you personally overcome it? What is, what is your story behind that? Still overcoming. <laughs> I don't know that I don't, I think that we're faced with them, those decisions on a daily basis, but calling it for what it is. Okay. I, I see that maybe somebody is asking of me to be some certain way and, and not usually not in straight words, you know, it's more like you walk into a culture or a subculture or a community and you quickly realize that you just don't fit in. <laughs> there becomes this moment where I would be like, okay, well, I'm going to try and navigate this and figure out what they believe and figure out what is going to make them like me really at the end of the day, this and obsession with, with peer pressure and with people pleasing. And I think that we're all subject to that. And so for me, when I realized that I was living my life truly burdened by this and, and suffocated by this need for the approval of other people, it was, as I said, a deliberate decision. It was small step by small step being willing to ask myself, why am I feeling what I'm feeling? And it's strange that so often we don't ask that question. We might know what we feel, but we don't know why we feel what we feel. Why do I feel like I need to fit in here? 
why do I feel like I want to be liked by them so desperately? And really being able to strip away all of the superfluary things that we live in light of and fundamentally walk in confidence because of the belief that you've been given inherent value and worth because God said that he created you in his image. What advice would you give to that person? Let, let's face it. When, when we, when I read off the, in the, in the beginning of our conversation, mother of three recording artist, fashion muse speaker, you're raising a family in the lifestyle, uh, in the shadow of a lifestyle of a major league baseball MVP, right. a lot of travel, a mm-hmm. lot of, a lot of schedules to juggle. What advice would you give to that person trying to pull it off, mm-hmm. but they just feel they feel pulled too thin, mm-hmm. too tight, and completely out of their wits. Yeah. What advice would you give to that person? Well, I would say, first of all, you're not alone. Busyness is sort of an epidemic that we can be spread too thin. I think my main advice would be to find what is life-giving to you. My husband and I talk about um, priority and passion and that number one, we will always prioritize our family, logistically speaking, being with one another, not just in spirit, but physically, (laughs) geographically in the same spot. So I navigate my schedule around his schedule. And that on a very, from just a detail perspective, meant me turning down various gigs me turning down certain tours, redefining success for our family so that our priorities became what success was to us. I would say know what your priorities are and know what your passion is. Know what is giving you life. It's hard. I get it. As a mom, I mean, during nap time, those (laughs) precious moments when babies are finally asleep, Sometimes what I feel like I want is just to veg out and watch TV and drink a glass of wine or whatever, you know, like sometimes you feel like that's what you want. But I know that what I personally need is to invest back into my mind, to pick up a book, to write something. And that was that was the only way that this book came to be was was recognizing my priorities and then and truly trusting that my passions were worth investing into. I think you also make a distinction between finding your passion and choosing your passion. So, so many of us just wait. So many people just wait to find out their, their dream, wait to find out their, um, their calling mm-hmm. instead of choosing their passion mm-hmm. and moving forward with that. Does that, does that dovetail into your message? Um, it does a little bit in, in regard to, to choosing to do something with it. I, I don't believe that there are really any kindergartners when you go in, they have like the big boards and all of the sparkles and stuff. And they're like, who do you want to be when you grow up? And you decorate it. And it becomes like this really flamboyant, exciting thing of the future, you know, dreams, passions, who do I want to be? And we live so large. And then as busyness sets in and as, as life sets in and as pain sets in and as complications and logistics and family and all of that sets in, it's easy to forget what makes you tick. It easy, it's easy to forget what you would say if someone were to ask you right now, who do you want to be when you grow up? It, you know, we, we get very comfortable. And I love the idea of us 
picking up that dry paintbrush that you haven't touched since college when you were an art major. I love the idea of the woman turning off the TV and deciding to take an online course instead of watching the Kardashians, whatever. I don't know. You know, I love the idea of saying no to going out with friends because you want to save up money to rent out a studio next week or next month. Like that is missing and we need that. And we as a nation and as just people in general, we cannot forget the gifts that we've been given and and we have to work for them. We have to choose those passions. I think you said it great before, pulling together your priorities mm-hmm. and your passions. Yes. When you pull those when you pull those together, you're headed in a really good direction. Yes. And it's so funny because Oftentimes when people ask me, how do you pull it off? I'll flip the question on them and say, who's telling you that you can't? And nine times out of 10, I have to be honest, it's never, oh, my husband or oh, time or oh, money. It's, well, I don't really know. I guess, I guess just me. Nine times out of 10, we are our own inhibitors, which can be depressing (laughs) if you so choose to make it be. But I see it as liberating because this is within your control. What, who's telling you that you can't? I mean, we live in America. You know, who's telling you? Is religiosity telling you this? Is culture, whatever? Probably not. Probably it's your own fear. It's your own inhibitions on your own life. And so how do you pull that off and put on the confidence? Let's flesh out your signature phrase. Don't shoot on me. <laughs> yes. I say it in jest. It's S-H-O-U-L-D. I say it in jest, but I say it because there is truth to it that we are given so many inputs into our lives of how you should look and what you should wear and what you should or shouldn't eat. And, you know, kale is like the new obsession. So like you should probably grind up some kale in your smoothie. Like that's what makes you cool. That's what makes you holy. That's we quantify these things. (laughs) You should do this if you really want to be cool. You should do this if you really want to be godly. We've gotten away from the heart and we've gotten concerned more so with quantifying and qualifying our relationships to one another and quantifying and qualifying our relationship to God. And so don't shoot on me is just a playful way of saying, all right, recognize that what she's saying, oh, you should really think about, you know, when people say things like that, it's their own opinion. It's their own preference, usually because of what they believe, how they were raised, their upbringing, that they have this idea of what is right. I would say, I mean, you got to back your shit up. You know, you got to know why you think what you think, you know, outside of a mommy blog and like, you know, (laughs) why you think what you think. You are free to be an educated individual to be able to, you know, know why it is that you believe what you believe and be able when somebody's like, ooh, you should really to say, don't shit on me. I mean, in your head, you know, and to respond I think to them in love <laughs> or out. say it straight out, but to recognize that what people try and do are use opinions and preferences to fear you into being safe to them. Why do we do that? And I say we, because I think we all do that. Oh, to each I do other. it. Oh, without we a doubt. shoot on each other all yes. day long. We are neck deep in each other's should. It's Why incredible. do we do that to each other? Is it, is it because we, we want to, we're afraid of our own fear 
And if Juliana is is going outside of the box that we think that we maybe it's a box that we really want to be outside of ourselves, mm-hmm. but Juliana's doing it. Mm-hmm. So we want to shoot on Juliana to pull her back in the mm-hmm. box. So we more so we feel more comfortable about us not following our priorities right. and our passions. Right. It's an age old issue of this desire to be. I think it's two things: a desire to be better than a desire to know where you fall in the hierarchy of humanity and spirituality. We like to measure each other up against one another so that we know how people think about us. I do believe that we should on other people because at the end of the day, we want to know that we're okay. You know, and if you do something differently than me that I believe, well then that questions that puts a question on what I believe. And we want to know that we're okay. We want to know that we're approved. We want to know that that maybe even God made us this way. And instead of asking the question, why do you believe what you believe? And why is this upsetting you? It's easier to shut down a situation and go, oh, you shouldn't do that. Oh, you shouldn't talk about that. Oh, you shouldn't go there. You definitely don't go there with God, you know, because we're insecure. We're insecure with, with maybe who we are and we don't know why it is that we believe what we believe. So shooting comes from a place of insecurity. And I think that you, you see people that learn that, that when they should, it says more about them than it is saying about you necessarily. Isn't it crazy, Juliana, that within Christianity, within the Christian culture, where our foundation is forgiveness Mm-hmm. and grace and acceptance yes. that we probably do this more than any other block of society yes. to each other and frankly to the world. Yeah. Fear will leave us insecure. And if we are afraid that we're going to ask a question that God's never heard, then it will leave us very ignorant and it will leave us very uneducated We cannot be afraid to ask God questions. We cannot be afraid to ask of ourselves, to be vulnerable with ourselves, honest with ourselves. There's nothing there that you've thought or in your heart that God's not already seen. The Bible's full of examples of people questioning God, Mm -hmm. people being ticked off at God. Oh, yes. People saying, God, I don't want to do this. Why do you want me to do this? Or God, I'd like to do this. What about this? Yeah. Uh, And he's God for his sake. Mm -hmm. He's not heard a question that, that, that hasn't been asked. So let's give him a shot. Yes. (laughs) Right. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's a misunderstanding, I think too, of what Christians or yeah, Christians in general who believe in Jesus and God It's a misunderstanding of what our role is, I believe. I believe that as Christians, our role is to be image bearers of God himself. So by nature of him saying, I've created man and woman in my image, in the image of God, he created them, male and female. Because he has said that I'm creating you in my image, that's, I believe, his effort at saying, okay, here here are the little pictures of myself that I'm going to give to the world. And who amongst us is able to all encompass who God is? 
Well, nobody. Jesus did that. That's why he had to come, <laughs> you know. Mm -hmm. So when we have this expectation on one another as Christians to be everything that God is, then it's a it's an impossible standard. We get consumed with this sort of pretty pretend, masking vulnerability with sarcasm, with shooting, with pessimism, humor. Mm. You know, we mask who we are because I think our expectation is too great. We want to be God. And it's the problem with the first Adam. They wanted to be God. They wanted to know just as much as him. Our issue is that we need to understand that you are a fraction of God. I am a fraction of God. And you're displaying a portion of his character and of his image that I'm not displaying. That's why we look different. That's why we think different. That's why your path was different than mine. It's because God is so much larger than one person being able to exemplify him. So it's like he's divided us all up. And I do believe that male and female, if you are walking on this earth and living and breathing, regardless of belief, I believe that you are an image bearer of God himself. That the fact that you might be a perfectionist and it annoys people, you know, we get it wrong. You know, we take our things too far, but even that woman that's, ah, oh, she's so annoying. She's a perfectionist. I mean, God is perfect. Her, her desire, her bent for correctness is a display of who God is. It's his character. Somebody who's, who loves justice and just wants, you know, everyone to be come to <laughs> come to terms with what they did. That is God's character. It's not a bad thing. We're a reflection of him. Yes, yeah. we are reflections of him. Very good point. You're known for helping people break through normal societal expectations. That's your thing, mm -hmm. right? Yes. Where do you see the shoulds in faith that need to be broken, that need a breakthrough? I mean, we've gone so far as to say you are more or less holy by the way that you give birth. We guilt and shame women that have had to have cesareans or used medication. <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. we do this about the way that we eat. We do this about the way that you um, school your kids. We have literally taken God and we've said, this is who he is. He's. He schools his kids this way. He has babies this way. He, and if you don't, you're not holy. Those are shoulds. And when we back our should up, we're able to look in the word of God and say, okay, he didn't, he didn't address this. I'm free to be an educated woman and have and make my own decision that's best for my family. You know, look in the word of God, especially when it comes to Christians and dealing with them so much of a lot I should say, of the pressures that we feel are not even biblical pressures. So I would challenge any believer. I always say have a missionary mindset. What are you taking over? If you were to walk into an indigenous third world country where they don't even have clean water and one woman is nursing five babies that are not her own, what are you going to tell her about faith? Are you going to bring up cesarean and the way that you eat and the way that whether or not you put your kids in daycare? No. All of those things that we use to try and quantify and make God attainable, 
they won't work over there. And not, none of us would even dare. We would never even dare to go over there and talk about like, oh, you should be really eating kale, <laughs> you know? Like, we wouldn't dare. Our faith becomes extremely simple when we think of God in a universal and global way. This is so refreshing, Juliana. We really do need to stop using God and the Bible as a billy club to yeah. try to force people into the life we think they should live. Yeah, it's a shaming mechanism. I call it the God shame. It's like there's this big oversized thumb that's pressing down on our culture in the name of God. It is wrong. Well, this is an important message, Julian. It really, really is. How do you hope people are changed through Pull It Off? I hope that, number one, that you think. I hope that you rip out the pages and live with them and put them on your mirror if you need to and reread it five times and Google because you think I'm wrong. I hope that you research it. I hope that you study it. I hope that it kind of flips things on its head and makes you look at life a different way, makes you look at your faith a different way. And secondly, and most importantly, I would pray that the people that read the book will walk away knowing their worth, their intrinsic value and worth because God saw fit to create you in his image. That gives you inherent value. You don't get to change that. You don't get to say, oh, I need more or less. That was given to you. Much like a tube of toothpaste at Target has a price tag. <laughs> you know, I'm comparing humanity to tubes of toothpaste <laughs> right now. Yes, I am. But that's how you can argue. That's how universal. I know. This I know. Is. You can argue about <laughs> your price, but it doesn't change what it is. Colgate decided that. It's like God with us. You can argue about your worth and your value, but He has given you immeasurable worth and value because he loves you and because he created you. How did you come to believe in Jesus Christ? I would have considered myself as a child and through most of high school, a naturalist. I wouldn't have said it in those terms, but looking back, that's what I was. I saw God in his created beings, but didn't know him um, relationally. Also didn't understand Jesus in the way that I see him now. For me, there was a moment where we were being asked to talk about our faith, not too unsimilar to this situation. And I thought, oh my word, I'm a, I'm going to fake it right now. Like I'm literally just going to say what I think they want to hear <laughs> because I didn't know what I believed. And it was in that moment that I, I felt like God was probably just laughing at me in like a loving way. Like, oh, Jules, it's fine. Like, it will be okay. I'm bigger than this, you know. That really began my journey of discovering for myself what it is that I believe. And and it was so much less about what I discovered and knew. And it was as if God replaced the lenses in my sunglasses just to see life differently and to see it through his his redemptive work instead of it being necessarily positive or negative. It was redemptive. Mm. Everything, everything became um, useful and purposeful and intentional by God. 
So you didn't necessarily grow up in a Christian home. And, oh, I did. My oh, you father did? Okay. was a pastor. <laughs> oh, I didn't know that. Wow. Yes, my father. Because you said you considered yourself I a naturalist. Know. And I was like, wow. That's... I know it was a problem. No, <laughs> no, <laughs> no, I was really great at faking. Yeah. <laughs> so, so really great at knowing the right answers to things. I had a lot of head knowledge, but really didn't have any kind of heart knowledge or heart belief. So you did grow up in a Christian home. I did, yes. And uh, you didn't, you didn't seem to buy it. Actually, deep in mm-hmm. within you, mm-hmm. is is that accurate? Yeah, that's accurate. At what point in your life did you say, "I, I believe this. I believe the Christian message. I believe in Jesus Christ." At what point in your yeah. life did you did you draw that line in the sand? I don't remember the day. I do remember thinking, oh my word, I, I don't think I've ever read the Bible before. It was literally as if I had given, been given new eyes. And I was in church, <laughs> I was bawling my eyes out, and our pastor said from the pulpit, if anyone needs to talk to me after this, <laughs> and I'm like, me, you know? <laughs> because all of a sudden I saw it in light of, you are my beloved, I am redeeming all things to myself as opposed to this how-to book of poetry and and rules and instructions. So it it was God's work. It wasn't wasn't mine. I don't know that I would have necessarily chosen to believe on my own. I do think it was just his work. It was like magic. Since that time, have you ever had uh, a moment or moments where you doubted your faith or even the existence of God? Never the existence of God. Um, I love science too much to think that God does not exist, which I know sounds counterintuitive, but doubted my faith, yes. Yes, at times. I would, in times of pain or, um, you know, hard times that our family has walked through together, kind of wonder, God, do you actually care on an intimate level? Do you, is this actually redeemable? Is this on purpose? But what I write about in the book, in chapter nine, it's called The Tension, and it's my favorite chapter because it's this very heavenly resolve with divinity and humanity. And I do believe that we are left on this earth to exist on this tightrope of tension. (laughs) I mean, you're not gonna walk on a slack tightrope and throw it between two buildings and Slack in the line. No one's even attempting that. You put tension there. Great analogy, Julian. You put it between two, but like somebody will walk on that. And that tension from a physics standpoint is a pulling force. And when I researched that and realized that, and this is all in the book, oh my word, it was, it was like I understood my faith in that moment that I am divinely human created by God in his image and humanly divine. Mm. <laughs> and that we are created to exist on that tightrope. We are created for that tension. We are created for the things that we don't know, that we can't put our finger on, that we can't so easily explain. We are created for that. That is what allows us to walk on the tightrope and will pull us closer to God. And when we accept that the tension is there and that it's okay, in oh, fact, yeah. it's natural. Yes. Life, the, life becomes simpler and easier yes. to navigate. Yes. Yeah. Is Ben a believer? Yes. Is he, he a Christian? Is. He how, is. Do you guys, how do you guys live out your faith as a family? 
for us. Especially as a major league baseball family. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we, we do get asked that quite a bit and it, it doesn't look any different probably than yours does in that it's conversations. It's talking to people. It's, um, the way that you treat your family. You know, my husband is, has a phenomenal reputation and I always tell people what you think you know of him is basically the, the, the tip of the iceberg. You have barely even scratched the surface of that man's goodness. He just is the, a wonderful person. But we, we had to release ourselves from the pressure of doing this massive work for God and realize that what he's asked us be, to be faithful with is with today. It's not well done, good and famous servant or well done, good and fruitful. It's well done, good and faithful. And that's what we want to hear at the end of the day when we're with the Lord is that we were faithful with who we are, with our gifts and with our talents, with our passions, with our priorities. Finally, as we wrap up, what would you say to that person that right now may not be a believer, Mm -hmm. but they're right on faith's edge, making Mm -hmm. that choice to believe or not Mm -hmm. to believe in God? Mm -hmm. I would say you're not alone. I would say that edge is that tension, that asking those questions is natural and good. And I would say that I well, became a Christian and then went back and had to ask all my, myself all of those questions. So it doesn't mean that you're far from God. It doesn't mean that it's a mistake or that you need to hurry up and get it right together, get it all together. But God is present. He's present in his creation. He's present in you. He's present in me. And it, he manifests himself in, in all of those little longings that we have. You know, when a song's about to end and if somebody doesn't play the last chord, you're like, oh my word, finish the song. You know, <laughs> like don't leave me hanging. Like that is the face edge. You know, it's this this longing for resolve, this longing for rest, this like, ah, I feel like I'm almost there. Like, if you feel that, you're already there. If you feel that, then it's welcome to being a divine human being, you know? And God, God is the, is the resolve to that. And sometimes the questions that we have, I don't know that we'll find it here, but we can find rest even in our not knowing. I don't think we can say anything more than that. The book is Pull It Off, Removing Your Fears and Putting on Confidence by Juliana Zobris. Thank you so much. This message is so important to our culture today. Thanks for hanging out with us. Thank you so much. God bless you. You too. Juliana's website is julianazobrist.com and her book, Pull It Off, is available at amazon.com. These links, as well as all the other links, can be found in today's show notes at onfaithsedge.com slash 120. That's on faithsedge.com slash 120. Well, I love bringing you engaging conversations about faith. If this show inspired you, encouraged you, or entertained you in any way whatsoever, would you consider backing the show by using any Amazon link at onfaithsedge.com? We'll get a modest commission, but it won't cost you a penny more. Well, that'll wrap up today's show. Thank you so much to Juliana Zobrist, and thank you for listening. You mean a lot to me. And you mean a lot to this show. Remember, God is real. He loves you. And so do I. God bless. Thank you for listening to On Faith's Edge. You can subscribe to the show via iTunes, Stitcher Internet Radio, or your favorite podcast app on Android, Apple, or Windows devices. To reach out to Joe or leave comments about the show, visit onfaithsedge.com. 
You're important to us and we would love to hear from you. 